Thank you for downloading this sermon from Christ the Word Church. If you would like more information on how Christ the Word is reaching, raising, and teaching generations in Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan, please visit us online at ChristTheWord.com. It is a joy to be back with many of you, and some of you the first time you have seen my face. It is a real joy to be here with my family that God has given me, that He provided while I was at Christ the Word. And it's a real joy to steal Eric and Ruth Ann from you in a couple months and have them come join us. This morning, I have the joy of feeding you God's Word, something that was done for me my 11 years here in Toledo. And so I ask that you would allow me to pray before I preach, and then you may turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. Fathers, we come to hear your word preached. We ask that you would give us understanding by your Spirit, and that you'd give us the gift of faith to follow you and to obey. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I think it is your custom to stand for the reading of God's word. Would you please stand with me for the reading of God's word from Ephesians chapter 4? Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 11. This is the word of the Lord. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. This coming Tuesday or maybe even weeks from now, we will find out who has been elected to serve as our country's next president. I know that there are people close to me in Florida, and so I'm sure there are some of you here this morning who are likely anxious, or if you're not anxious, you're appropriately concerned, or you are appropriately attentive, and maybe your thoughts have been consumed or appropriately attuned to the news Maybe you have in your mind played out what will happen if President Trump serves another four years or if Mr. Biden takes office. Maybe you have strong feelings or maybe you're ambivalent. You may be concerned or excited about what this will mean for your coming future and for the future of your country, for your grandchildren. And so I would assume that most of us, at least who are adults, have thought a lot about this election. This morning, our passage leads us to think that there's something a lot more important than who will serve as our next president. There is another form of leadership that really you should be a lot more concerned about that you should spend more time knowing what the qualifications are for, what the role of is, what the influence on your life is. And when it comes time for that election, it should be on your mind, what will this mean for me in the next four years and for my grandchildren? In our passage this morning, we are told that Jesus gave some as apostles some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers. Did you know 
that church elders are a gift straight from Jesus to you. They're an office of authority. They're an office of rule. They're an office of leadership. They are men that look just like you. Some may look better than you and some may not, but they are men and they are a gift. I don't know when this first struck me. Maybe it was just a few weeks ago. But the fruit has borne out for years now. But elders, church elders, pastors and teachers, are Christ's gift to you. Let me read just a little bit of context before this verse, beginning in verse 7. But to each one of us grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it says, when he ascended on high, he led captive a host of captives. He gave gifts to men. Paul here is quoting from Psalm 68, and the full psalm speaks of God's glory and His majesty, and it culminates in His majesty through Zion, through His people, in the rule of His people. And this victorious God takes and He gives gifts, and He rules over all the earth, but He especially rules, and it's for the good of His people. And so Paul is drawing back on that, and he's saying, look, Jesus is the one who gives these gifts. This expression, he ascended, what does it mean except that he also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is himself also he who ascended far above all the heavens so that he might fill all things. Jesus is God, the great God of all the earth who rules through Zion in the Old Testament Jesus has come, and He is this sovereign Lord, and He is ruling through His church, and He receives and He gives gifts. And verse 11, and He gave some as pastors and teachers. I don't know what you think of church elders. I don't know whether you think they are gifts or whether it's even crossed your mind. I don't know if you're ambivalent or if you are deathly opposed. I don't know if you have an experience that you classify as abuse or an experience that you classify as life-changing. Maybe you've never thought about a church elder. But we're told in God's Word that part of Jesus' work on the cross in His death and resurrection is what led Him, allowed Him to give the gift of elders. If Jesus has a gift that's connected to his death and his resurrection, it might be important. It might be something that you should pay attention to. It might be something that you should cherish. And if it were an item that you would hang up in the most prominent spot in your house, or that you would protect with your safe, or that you would show off to everybody when they come to your house, look, this is my church elder. Now, some of you may want to have a little church elder that you can put on the wall or put in a safe or handle in your hands. But elders, the office of elder, pastor and teacher, is a gift from Christ himself to you. Now, I'm in sort of a difficult position this morning because I grew up in this church family. And the stories I have of the care and authority of elders has to do with many of you in the room. And where I've been for three years and am at now in Crestview, Florida, 
They are my family, my church family. And they can come back and watch the video recording of the sermon anytime. And so I would ask that you would allow me to do something that normally I wouldn't, and Pastor David would say I shouldn't do, but share personal stories. Mr. James asked me this morning what I was going to preach on. I told him Ephesians 4.11, elders are a gift. And he laughed and said, oh, you finally understand this. <laughs> when I first started the pastor's college that Eric is going through years ago, soon into it, I made a decision to invite Mr. James to play in a Christmas play, a talent show play. It was from a TV show I had seen and I laughed a lot. Other people at church laughed a lot. I asked Mr. James to play a certain role. He wanted to see a script. And so I Googled for a script. I didn't even look at it. I downloaded it as a PDF, sent it off to Mr. James. I don't remember. A few hours or a few days, I found myself in Pastor David Bailey's office next to Mr. James. Nobody gave me an agenda for the meeting. Mr. James asked if this was the role I wanted him to play, and I said yes, and he proceeded to read all the four-letter words and sexual innuendos that were in the part with his name, out loud, without stopping, and without using euphemisms. He read it word for word. Is that what you want me to do in front of the whole congregation of Christ, the Word? No, no, obviously no. I haven't been faithful all the way. But I'm thankful that Mr. James was willing to take something that somebody else might say, oh, this is a small thing. Who cares? He, he probably didn't mean it. And he drilled into me, you are a pastor. And everything you do, especially with the congregation, you do as a pastor. And you better know what you're sending to people. And you better understand the implications of what you're asking them to do. And you, you must understand that you can't take this position lightly. You are responsible for the souls and for the behavior and for the faith, in a sense, of those under you. That was probably one of the hardest spankings I had as a seminary student. I probably stayed away from Mr. James for a while after that. But now, I love to see Mr. James kneel down and kiss my daughters and say how beautiful they are. And I, I cherish Mr. James's calls and his prayers. Elders are a gift. They're not something that we have to deal with like a vegetable we don't enjoy. Elders weren't given by Christ because his church was so unfaithful that he wanted to inflict us with pain. It's not a time out. It's not a punishment. Elders are a gift that Jesus, after his death and resurrection, his ascension, following the picture of God the Father in the Old Testament, he gives this gift. He says, here, I love you. Here are elders, pastors, and teachers. When I was in pastor's college, there were sins that I wanted to keep hidden. 
And I was thankful that it was my second or third year in pastor's college before the college leadership finally got around to sitting down with me and asking me how I was doing in a formal way. And they went through my studies, and then they went through my personal life. And sins that I kept saying, I'm going to stop tomorrow, I'm going to stop tomorrow, I finally had to confess. And the pastors and elders that were there were able to start changing my life. I had been hiding. I was in training for ministry. And it took elders being proactive to draw out sin in my life. Should I confess sin on my own? Should I stop sin? Yes. If Jesus has given us this gift of elders, then I want to offer to you that you cannot grow as a Christian on your own. Let me keep reading in Ephesians 4, beginning in verse 11 again. And he gave some as apostles and some as prophets and some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. As a result, we are no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into Him, who is the head, even Christ, from whom the whole body being fitted and held together by what every joint supplies according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Yes, you have personal responsibility. Yes, I have personal responsibility. And you and I will stand before the throne of God. And we cannot say like Eve, the serpent deceived me. Or like Adam, my wife deceived me. We are personally accountable. And yet the Holy Spirit is speaking to you and to me this morning. He says, you are not your own in Christ. You are a member of His body. And these commands to mature in faith, in doctrine, in practice, though they are personal responsibilities, they are what Christ is doing in His church as one body. And He has given the gift of pastors, of elders, to bring about the equipping and the maturity of the saints. In other words, you can't do this on your own. You can't just stop your habitual sin tomorrow. You can't grow in doctrine and know all the right doctrines and refute all the heresies and, and distinguish between all the quiddities of theology on your own. It's not because God calls you stupid. It's not because He singled you out and say, I'm going to make you suffer. It's not because He's appointed a superhuman race from which He draws to elect men to serve as elders and pastors and teachers. It's because in all of life, He works through authority delegated through men. And in His church, He's chosen to do this through pastors and teachers. In Matthew chapter 8, there's an exchange between a centurion and between our Lord Jesus. 
And we see here a reflection of what's true of every believer. When Jesus entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him, imploring him and saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, fearfully tormented. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go. And he goes. And to another, come. And he comes. And to my slave, do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. I say to you that many will come from the east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, Go, it shall be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. You see, anyone who has been born again, anyone who has faith in Christ, he cries out, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Master. He cries out and says, I understand. I need your authority, Jesus. A Christian could be defined as someone who loves authority. Someone who delights in exercising and submitting to authority. How can you have a Christian who does not delight in authority? In Romans, we're told that all may be saved. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But you must call on him as Lord. You must recognize he is master and that you are not. When your heart is changed, you're delivered out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You're transferred from Satan's tyranny to slavery to Christ. It's a transfer of authority. It's not an unshackling to your own individual independence. If you don't, love authority how can you claim to love Christ as your Lord pastor John Calvin comments on verse 11 he says the government of the church by the preaching of the word, is first of all declared to be no human contrivance, but a most sacred ordinance of Christ. The apostles did not appoint themselves, but were chosen by Christ. And at the present day, true pastors do not rashly thrust themselves forward by their own judgment, but are raised up by the Lord. In short, the government of the church, by the ministry of the word, is not a contrivance of men, but an appointment made by the Son of God. As his own unalterable law, it demands our assent. They who reject or despise this ministry offer insult and rebellion to Christ, its author. It is himself who gave them. For if he does not raise them up, there will be none. Another inference is that no man will be fit or qualified for so distinguished an office who has not been formed and molded by the hand of Christ himself. 
To Christ we owe it that we have ministers of the gospel, that they abound in necessary qualifications, that they execute the trust committed to them. All, all is Christ Jesus' gift. Brothers, men who serve as elders this morning, I know all of you. And I know that you have not taken on this title just to exalt yourself. Nevertheless, let me speak to you and so to any other man that would be called or desire to serve as elder. The role you have been given is a gift of Jesus Christ to his church. And so you cannot do what you want to do. As an elder, as a pastor, you must do what Jesus declares in his word and what he requires of you. Recently, for the last few months, I've been reading very slowly through Proverbs, largely because of my laziness and just completing it methodically. But in taking it so slow and walking through it steps at a time, I've been struck at how unwilling I am to actually call people by the color that Proverbs paints them. If you take a fool to court and try to reason with him, he'll either laugh at you or argue with you and yell at you, Proverbs says. And I want to say, yeah, but, but he's been hurt. Yeah, he, he's really not a fool. He has some good reasoning. Part of his reasoning is good. Yes, he should still teach. Yes, he should still have an influence. It's just a small thing. He's not really a fool, is he? Or if as a pastor or an elder, I lead other elders to say, look, this is how the man acts. This is how the woman behaves. And this is what God says in Proverbs. This is who this person is. It's it's God's call. It's not mine. Well, who are you to say that? It's not me. And elders, if we know what God says and we refuse to act on it and to follow his directives, we leave the sheep not better protected than Jesus has. We don't shore up Jesus' failings. We aren't wiser than Scripture and the Holy Spirit. We don't have new revelation through our feelings. We leave the sheep exposed. We leave them uncared for. We leave them with false hope. And we allow sheep to batter and bruise one another. Without going into specifics in Crestview, this has been part of the work of the elders. It may seem like a small thing to everyone else. But in our effort to protect the other sheep, we have had to say to certain people, no, you're sinning and you must stop. And even when we do it very gently and take time, often the person finds a way to make an accusation against the elders and to leave. Or someone wonders, did you really need to speak then? The truth is, cancer left alone still damages. Actually, it gets worse. You leave yeast in the bread and it will rise, it will spread. Those of you who are not elders, let me encourage you as someone who doesn't live here 
I know the work and the integrity of your elders here. Do you think it's easy to accept God's word and to act in his name when maybe a few or the whole congregation is upset? Do you think it's easy to look at someone that you've known for a couple months or for decades and to know that if I don't speak against his sin, personally, he will continue in it and his family will suffer harm and the whole church family can be dragged down? Do you think it's easy for the elders among you to say hard things, to administer discipline, to, to keep silent when they are wronged? Do you think it's an easy job? Do you think they are elders because they're hungry for power? No. No. It's because they love Christ. And really it's because Jesus loves you. Where is the gospel in this? Where is grace? Where is God's favor? Jesus died and rose again, and the gift he gives you is church elders. God's grace is in the office of elder in your life. I've shared a couple stories from my experience here. I could share others. I may not be quite the man, but the man that I am, I am not without Matt McClavick and Jordan Arndt and Mr. James. <laughs> Jordan Doherty. <clears throat> Jordan Art, you've been a good sparring partner wherever you are. I'm not. And if these men wouldn't have been hard with me as I saw it in the moment, sin would not have left me. Sin would not have left me. And how would my children feel and my wife now if I still had the sin that was not driven out? They suffer as it is with the sin that's there now and will continue to because I will not be perfect at the day of my death. But how much more would they suffer, my family, if your elders had not been willing to deal with me in Christ's name? This is God's grace, and yet if you're an American, I can fairly confidently bet that you don't think authority is a gift at all. We could say there's two types of Americans, especially as we look at the upcoming election. There are, on the one hand, the American who does everything by himself. He accomplishes everything on his own. He has all the liberty he can have, and he uses it to better himself and pull himself up by his bootstraps. He doesn't need and he doesn't want anybody else. And then on the other hand, if we could paint on the other extreme, we have someone who speaks all the time about justice and care for the neighbor and poverty and alleviation of suffering. And this second person spends his time mooching off of society. One in the extreme is alienated and the other mooches and leeches off of society. But neither one of these wants authority. The one wants all authority out of his life, and the other one wants to take all authority and use it for a certain end. Neither one wants to exercise godly authority, and neither one wants to be under the constriction of scriptural authority. We are American. We despise authority. 
It's who we are. In Titus, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to say, and to quote from a poet, Cretans are always liars, evil beasts, lazy gluttons. And he says this statement is true. As a side note, learn to speak in generalities. Learn from the Holy Spirit's example through Paul. Recognize bigger picture things. You're allowed to make generalizations and to make statements about society. And you need to, to understand society well and to lead well. The Holy Spirit is your example here. Of course, not every single Cretan was lazy to the nth degree. And it may be that one of you this morning really loves authority without being born again. I don't know. But the truth is, we despise authority, and it's not just Americans. Eve had the word of God through her husband. Do not eat the fruit of the tree. And when Satan came and said, has God said, she answered. And then when he said, God is holding out from you. If you will disobey what you have heard from your husband, God's commandment, you will actually be able to become like God. And Eve cast off the authority of her husband and of her God, but really she cast off the authority of God's word and it coming to her life, to bear in her life through man. Delegated authority, God's word, and delegated through another man. The exact same thing is presented in your life today. Will you submit to God's word and its authority when you just read it and hear it? But will you submit to it when it comes to you through the mediation of a man that looks like you? A man whose sins you know. There's a man here who I love dearly and through different types of relationships I became able to know some of his sin and I began to be envious and jealous. Why does God bless this man? He sins a way I would never sin. How can God give him favor? What a stupid thing for me to think. My sin, I was hiding sin, and and I thought I was better than this man, and I thought God owed me something instead of this man who lived and walked by faith and actually was honest about his sin and let me know it. You will know things about your elders. You may falsely accuse and think you know things. You don't submit to your elders because they have come in sinlessness. You submit because Jesus died and rose again and he said, I'm giving you a gift, elders. In Hebrews 13, verse 7, Remember those who led you, who spoke the word of God to you, and considering the result of their conduct, imitate their faith. Then in verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief, for this would be unprofitable for you. Your submission is not about the elders and their ego and their achievement. Your submission to the elders that Christ has given you as a gift is about your relationship with God, your closeness to Him, your salvation, your holiness, your sanctification, your benefit. This would be unprofitable for you, the Holy Spirit says, if you make it difficult for your elders to lead you. 
If you refuse to submit, it's unprofitable for you. Yes, it's unpleasant for an elder, for a father, for a mother, for an employer to work hard and to do well and to have expectations that are appropriate and to have someone under him (coughs) kick back and refuse the good leadership. Yes, it's unpleasant. But the Holy Spirit doesn't say that. He says, it's unprofitable for you. It's unprofitable for you. As I was entering the pastor's college, Pastor David pulled me aside in the narthex one Sunday morning. And he said, you are no longer allowed to serve with inner city children or Latinos. You can do no ministry with those two groups of people the whole time you're in seminary. Now, is that in Titus or First or Second Timothy? Is that in the pastoral epistles? You know, it's not even, hey, bring my cloak to me where he could have massaged the verse. Nowhere in Scripture does it say you must tell or you have the right to tell a seminary student you can't serve certain types of people. Who, who would tell a pastoral student you may not minister to certain people? David hasn't told me. But I know that I wanted to avoid dealing with men face to face. And I was comfortable with inner city children. And I was comfortable because I knew some Spanish with Latinos. And so my guess is that Pastor David wanted me to not have what was easy. And he wanted me to mature. He knew what I needed for spiritual maturity. He knew what I needed for maturity as a pastor. And he didn't say, I'd like you to consider this. He didn't say, I'd, I'd like you to think about this or get three other opinions. He didn't say the pastor's college board has said this. He didn't say, here's a scriptural principle. He just pulled out and said, you may not do this. Where would I be if I would have fought and skipped out of pastor's college? Recently, I have had the sadness. Thank you. The sadness of a young man begin a seminary training with me. And at the first requirement that he did not enjoy, his first real chance to submit to my authority, he left not just the seminary training, but the church itself and took his family with him. But as a pastor, your elders, we are not exercising this authority for fun, for personal gain because we can find power nowhere else in life, because we can't make it in the real world, because we can't win political elections. And so we found somewhere easy to manipulate stupid people who are called sheep. No, it's because we know that we have been changed by other elders and Christ's ministry through those men. We have been changed by the authority of God's word, and we know that this is Christ's gift. And if we fail to discharge the duty given to us, then we fail Christ and we fail you and we leave you open to spiritual ruin. That's hard for an American to hear because you think, just like I do, I don't need somebody else. But you do. Another pastor, Todd Wilson, says, leadership is so powerful that churches are either killed by bad leadership or thrive on good and godly leadership. It's a truism in life and in the life of the church. As goes the leadership, so goes the church. In fact, a church never rises above the spirituality of its leaders. That's why leadership is vital. 
And so elders, pastors, again I say, your job is not small. You can't do this half-heartedly. Ruling elders, I know you don't treat it this way, but you, you can't treat it as though David and Nathan and others are paid and so you have less responsibility. By accepting the office of elder, you are given to Christ's church by Christ as a gift to exercise authority under God's word, under Jesus. And so it's no small thing. Maybe if you see some glimmer of hope in me and in others where you've seen the fruit of God's word, you can be encouraged by that. But even if you don't see fruit now, you must know that you have a responsibility to Christ to faithfully discharge the duty he has given you to care for his flock. 1 Peter chapter 5. Peter says, Therefore I exhort the elders among you, as your fellow elder and witness of the sufferings of Christ, and a partaker also of the glory that is to be revealed, shepherd the flock of God among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God, and not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, nor yet as lording it over those allotted to your charge, but proving to be examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. You younger men, likewise, be subject to your elders, and all of you, clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Elders, we are to be examples to the flock. In Hebrews, we were told, as a congregation, follow the example of those your leaders. Paul himself is bold enough in 1 Corinthians 11 to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so elders, pastors, you must say this to the congregation. Look at my life. Look at my teaching. Look at my family. Imitate me. Follow my example. You don't know how to follow Christ. Look at me. Paul was willing to say this, and the Holy Spirit was willing to command the congregation in Hebrews to say the same thing of their leaders. Congregation. Elders are Christ's gift to you. If you want to mature in faith, if you want to become a part of the mature man, not being tossed back and forth by this doctrine and that doctrine, if you want to see your personal holiness and sanctification, your closeness to walking like Christ in His image, being conformed to His image, you must follow Him personally, and yet you must be willing to submit to the gift of the rule, the authority of church elders. It's not a punishment. It's a gift from Jesus Christ himself. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you for your love for us. Lord, I pray that even as surely I've asked before, that you would forgive me for my rejection of authority in your church. You forgive me of my pride and my arrogance. Father, I pray that you would allow us to be thankful. To be thankful for the gift that you have given us. Of fathers in the church, elders, pastors, and teachers. Who lead us under Christ and his authority and the authority of his word. Father, I pray for the men who lead here, whom you have called and gifted to the congregation of Christ, the word that you would strengthen them with wisdom 
and with love and with determination, with faithfulness. I pray for the congregation here and for my family in Crestview, my church home there, that you would cause us to bear fruit as we accept your will, your design, your plan. And we praise you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.